0: Humility in all of it, and his nearly, as we'll see, perfect submission to God in this after God calls him. Um, he was a man. He's a descendant of Adam. He's a sinner, uh, just like us. And we'll see some of that too. But yeah, we want to put God on display as we go through this as well. That's what I really want to show you this morning. It's not just a bio- bi- biography or eulogy or something like that, it's a sermon. Sermons are about God. So we want to see his grace and his, his tenderness towards Moses, this man, this sinner. We want to see God's faithfulness toward his people. We want to see his judgment of sin. And we want to see what sort of hope and grace he gave to his, uh, as you might say, battered servant. <laughs> uh, Moses did not um, peacefully <laughs> uh, go from birth to death, we could say. So let's pray for God's help. Pray for the rest of his um, I'm going really go to God with me. Heavenly Father, thank You for the opportunity to open Your Word together this morning, that Your Word is always there for us, that You will always, by Your Spirit, speak to us through it. But I pray that You would illuminate it to us, that it would be effective in our souls and for our emotions and our actions, our beliefs, that we would be in subjection to You, that we would submit to You freely and willfully and joyfully. We do pray for those who are not here, that You would heal them, that You would cause them to lean on You and be moved to greater dependence on You. We pray that You would be with um, everyone here in being able to relate to You and communion with You directly as we read, as I we, we, we preach, as we sing yet again and as we go off knowing full well that in Jesus we, have, we can come boldly to the throne of grace for mercy and help in time of need, to spend time with our Heavenly Father, and to enjoy um, this life, to be carried through it by the grace that you give. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, before we say anything about Moses' ministry per se, we should see his origin story. So please open with me to Exodus one we We'll start right away. You call this kind of a subheader, Moses the prophet by grace. He wasn't just a, a guy who exalted himself to be a prophet. God called him and made him a prophet. So we'll read the last verse of chapter 1 up through verse 10. Exodus one twenty-two. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, "'This is one of the Hebrews' children.' Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, "'Shall I go and call you a nurse (laughs) from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you?' And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "'Go.' So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "'Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages,' So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. And your footnote will say Moses sounds like the Hebrew for draw out. So he's named for how he was found. So here, right away, God's presenting this great, probably the greatest man who's ever lived apart from Jesus. We see Him being saved, not by His strength or His will or anything in Him. Um, It says uh, she found Him a fine child, you know, His parents saw the child was beautiful, uh, the author of Hebrews says. Uh, We can presume that the comment isn't necessarily that the baby Moses was cute as opposed to ugly and that she would have thrown him into the river if he was ugly. Um, Hebrews tells us that his parents were not afraid of Pharaoh's edict. They had a certain kind of faith which enabled them to disobey the king in order to preserve what is good, what is a fine child. And God appears to have blessed this action because Moses' mom gets to nurse him after he's found by Pharaoh's daughter, and then Moses is raised in the great nation of Egypt. Egypt is, as you may know, great in terms of size and influence. It was one of the biggest civilizations of its day. But it was also great in terms of evil and opposition to God and idolatry and all the things that you would associate with a city of Babylon, so to speak. So, let's read on just a little bit. The next verse, uh, chapter 2, 11. One day, Moses had grown up. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. "'one of his own people. "'He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, "'he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. "'When he went out the next day, "'behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, "'and he said to the man in the wrong, "'Why do you strike your companion?' "'He answered, "'Who made you a prince and a judge over us? "'Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian?' "'Then Moses was afraid and thought, "'Surely the thing is known.'" When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So here, we see Moses acting out of concern for his people. He is counting himself a Hebrew rather than Egyptian. And notice that in this (laughs) instance… It says that Moses left afraid. He thought to himself, surely the thing is known. You know, surely people know that I killed this man now because apparently this Hebrew does. And then he scurried off into the wilderness. He set down roots, got a wife, had a kid, stayed there for 40 years. <laughs> Later, he will come back after having done this. Without, and he'll leave again without a hint of fear. Fear. So what could possibly account for this change of heart? We're seeing uh, great fear. Um, he's kind of judging for his people. He's, he's uh, considering himself one of his people, but he's terrified and he just leaves. He leaves his people entirely. But he comes back with no fear later. What accounts for this? Well, we can read on. Uh, chapter 22, verse 23. During those many days the king of Egypt died... And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his daughter in law, or father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Moses, Moses, God called him out of the bush. The Lord saw that He had turned aside the sea. God called Him out of the bush and said that. And He said, Here I am. Then He said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. If you're following along in the ESV, the footnote on the Lord there, little caps, it says when spelled with capital letters, it stands for the divine name Yahweh, which is here connected with the verb Hayatabi in verse 14, the I am who I am uh, is hidden underneath those little caps of the Lord, anytime it shows up in the scriptures. And this is where it's revealed. Moses runs away from Egypt in fear, lives there for a long time, comes across a bush that's burning but not consumed, and out of the bush the voice of the Lord calls him Moses. You're going to go back to Egypt and confront this king who wants to kill you. You're going to bring an entire nation of people out. And Moses asks for a sign, and he asks, who's sending me? And God reveals to him himself, his name to be remembered through all generations. Maybe this can account for Moses' change of heart, for his fear turning into bold confidence. He meets the Lord, and rather the Lord appears to him. It's all grace, all the way through. God reveals his personal name to Moses. But he's not finished with him yet. There's still clearly some fear in him. We can read verse, or chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Then Moses answered, But behold, They won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail, so He put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand again. God says, That they may believe that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So there's a sign. Moses is running away from a snake that God made, and then he says, Put your hand to it. And it becomes a staff. It's a sign for Israel and a sign for Pharaoh, possibly also a sign for Moses himself. Reading on in chapter 4, uh, verse 10 Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. (laughs) You might think that it is more complicated for God to be with two people's mouths than one person's mouth. And perhaps that accounts for uh, God's anger towards Moses. But the point here is that God is working with Moses. Uh, he's one of the greatest men to ever walk the earth, as we know him. But he is something of a slow project. <laughs> oh, Lord, please send someone else. Oh, I, my mouth doesn't work. And God rebukes him and says, I made mouths. I'm the one who makes you able to speak. And Moses still says, it's not. I can't do it, I can't do it. Yet, God has mercy in His anger with Moses and lets him have a helper in his brother Aaron. So then, Moses proceeds to return to Egypt where he was a wanted man in order to speak for God to the highest earthly power. It's in this sense that the author of Hebrews is speaking when he says in chapter 11, Not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He was afraid, but now we will see that he is no longer afraid. He might despair a little bit. We know from the next couple chapters of Exodus that Moses didn't take this mistreatment for the sake of Christ in stride. It was not easy. He repeatedly came to God in desperation, but notice he did come to God, and God was there to meet him. For one example, after his initial audience with Pharaoh, uh, when Pharaoh doubled the work of the slaves, the Hebrew slaves, then the, the uh, Hebrew slaves say to Moses, "'Ah, oh, you stink. You know, <laughs> we're working twice as hard as ever. I'm not interested.'" Moses cries out to God in chapter 5, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And then just a little bit later, after Moses mediates God's promise of redemption to the Hebrews directly, they don't listen, not interested. And Moses says in chapter 6, verse 12, "'Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips,' by which I think he means his lips are no good for the holy purpose that God is sending him to. And Moses says basically the exact same thing again in verse 30 after being instructed to go back to Pharaoh again. He's afraid in a certain sense, but he keeps returning to God and he keeps returning to Pharaoh." Notice also God's almighty power in this. Not only is He there for Moses in providing him with encouragement as He keeps going, but He is powerful in enabling these real miracles and is repeating over and over of His promises to Moses. God is powerful. Moses is not And God is dealing gently with Moses, who is, again, something of a slow project. And so Moses grows in faith and boldness by the grace of God. Plague after plague, meeting with God, and then meeting with Pharaoh over and over and over. He goes to God, you will send this plague, or I'll send this plague. He goes to Pharaoh, this plague is coming. He goes before the king of the the biggest nation in the world and says, we're coming for you. (laughs) My God is No more protests for Moses in these chapters. God has made him into a prophet. And then all but one of the plagues have come by chapter 10, 28. This re- reads, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. And That is not an empty threat. This is after nine plagues of darkness and hail and and, uh, flies and gnats and boils. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. John Owen writes about this text. He had in front of him a bloody tyrant. Keep in mind, he already killed the firstborn of all the Hebrew families. Armed with all the power of Egypt threatening him with death if he persisted in the work that God had given him. But far from being terrified or failing in his duty in any way, Moses professed his resolve to carry on and called down destruction on the tyrant himself. This is how Moses left Egypt. He did not fear the king's anger. And most of you know the rest. Moses sees the wonders of God and it takes place through him. By faith, he instructed the people to paint their doors with blood so God wouldn't take their firstborn. He gathers the people up. They plunder the Egyptians. They're led by a cloud of God's glory by day and a pillar of fire by night. He leads the people through the Red Sea on the dry land. And he comes out of Egypt through water and sings a song to celebrate. These are wondrous things. Some of the biggest visual spectacles of God's glory in the history of the world. Done through Moses. New Testament teaches that in this, Moses was a forerunner of Christ. God brings His people out of death and slavery into life and freedom. And Paul says that this is a picture of baptism. So Moses is huge. Christ is huger, as we'll see. But God is the one that made Him that way. And this was the easy part of Moses' life. Moses, as Hebrews says, was the great servant who was faithful over all God's house, as a servant, (laughs) faithful over all God's house. He did everything. He was a leader in battle. Remember, he was lifting his arms (laughs) to determine the course of battle. He went up to Mount Sinai to receive the law over and over and over, tons of law. He organized and ordered the construction of the tabernacle. He was the chief navigator. He went wherever God said, and he spent time in the tent, and God would say, okay, it's time to go here. He established a federal justice system of judges to deal with the people sinning against one another. Remember, this is a huge group. There's over a million people here. And for a while, Moses was directly adjudicating disputes between all of them himself, But I would say that Moses' ministry is primarily marked by three things. First, he spent huge amounts of his time in direct communion with God. This is illustrative for us. Second, he mediated God's law to the people. That was a major, major thing that he's known for. They, They did not know him. God revealed himself through His own words to Moses, and Moses delivered God's words to the people so that they would know Him. And third, the most remarkable thing about Moses is the long, long patience and suffering as he pastored the entire flock of God's people, a church of over a million. These people were very, very stubborn. They weren't a regenerate church. (laughs) So, we get to see all three things all three of these remarkable things, and the golden calf scene to encapsulate this whole middle scene of uh, Moses' life. Exodus 32, if you'll turn with me. We'll start in verse uh, 24. Remember Moses spent roughly a month up on the mountain with God after giving the Ten Commandments. And when he was gone, his brother Aaron apparently heard the second commandment, don't make idols, no other gods before me, and then proceeded to lead the people into gross idolatry with a little golden calf. Uh, God and Moses dealt with this immediately, and this is right after the immediate aftermath of that, that thing. So look at this exchange with uh, God and Moses here. Uh, we'll start in verse... 1 of 33. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land, which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring I will give it. And this is the, the drama of the section. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but... I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When Moses heard the distress, or this disastrous word, disastrous word, and the people heard this, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to make a tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go outside, out to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as man speaks to his friend. What a word. And then when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please now show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight that I may know you. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you've spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses wouldn't even trade the riches of the promised land for God's presence. He already gave up the riches of Egypt. Now he would give up the riches of the promised land if only to stay near to God. For this, the Lord finds favor, or Moses finds favor in the Lord's sight. So Moses says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, my name, the Lord I am. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke." Be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And he said, God said, behold, I am making a covenant. Before all of your people, I will do mat.'" marvels such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you what an amazing experience that Moses should know the Lord so closely face to face as it said to see make, has, had his goodness pass before him in this very personal connection. And he worships and acknowledges his own sin and the sins of his people. Again, we're dealing with, in some sense, a picture of Christ that he cares for his people. He's a servant. He's faithful in all God's house. That's just one scene in Moses' ministry. And the difficulty only keeps going. Consider uh, Numbers 20. Um, he's been uh, for such a long time, he says in Deuteronomy, that he's constantly dealing with the stubborn and stiff-necked people. They're constantly rebelling. Even Miriam and Aaron are against him at various stages, his own brother, brother and sister. He's alone often ministering before God to these people. And then, Numbers 20, 10 to 13, after uh, God commands him to bring up water from the ground um, for a bunch of grumbling, ungrateful uh, people of God, (laughs) Uh, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, uh, Moses, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, contrary to what the Lord had commanded. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through them showed himself holy. This man that spoke to God as with a friend who knew God face to face, God judges and says, you will die in the wilderness with the stubborn people that you've been ministering to for these years, these 40 years. God showed Himself holy in this, and He shows Moses as being not the Savior of mankind, that Moses will die in the wilderness with the rebels. Let's now turn to Deuteronomy 34 and look at how Moses ends. This is verse 1. Chapter 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, the promised land. Remember, Deuteronomy is essentially Moses' sermon to them before they cross over the river into the promised land. He showed them all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, all the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated and the people of israel wept for moses in the plains of moab 30 days then the days of weeping and mourning for moses were ended and joshua the son of nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for moses had laid his hands on him and so the people of israel obeyed him as did the lord or as and did as the lord had commanded moses and there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel." It's very clear that God is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, but will not clear the guilty, as Moses learned when he saw the Lord face to face. Moses was guilty of sin, just as we all are. And yet, what a great gift God gave to Moses that he would allow him to see the promised land with his own physical eyes before he took him. He's so gracious, giving him a a view of all these things. We don't know whether, uh, it's unclear, I don't think you can see, uh, scholars think you can't see all of the places that God mentioned from the top of the little mountain of Pisgah. (laughs) Um, So, some commentators suggest that perhaps God gave him some sort of flyover, (laughs) a personal tour of the promised land. Um, spiritual, you know, kind of like Ezekiel's taken up sort of a thing. Um, But either way, it is a wonderful grace. It's also a grace that Moses died with but not with the unfaithful, stubborn wilderness generation. What a horror it is to have such a man of faith to die alongside a nation which had spurned his ministry, the whole uh, generation. He died with the rebellious, unfaithful, unbelieving Israelites. Yet, he did not die with them, <laughs> he died up on a mountain alone with God. So the Lord buried Moses in verse 6, the servant of the Lord, he was not like the others, he was the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. According to the word of the Lord, God is faithful, and the Lord, He buried him. There's, I think, three dimensions how gracious this is even in the death of Moses. One of them is that it's very, very personal. God is the one who personally sees to it that Moses has an honorable burial. It's not uh, dug by the hands of men. (laughs) There's not a bumbling uh, uh, minister Uh, piecing what best words together he can uh, to honor the life of a person. And then, uh, like uh, it says in verse 8, then the weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Um, God was personally there with him and buried him. The second thing is that it's private. No one knows the location. No one else was there to see It's fitting, I think, for a man who spent so much time alone at the top of the mountain or in the tent of meeting with God to, when he is taken to God in spirit, be alone with God yet once more. One other thing that is important, I think, knowing that he was going with a stubborn, stiff-necked people is something John Calvin points out. Although the cause, he says, of its concealment place of burial, is not stated. Still, it appears to have been God's intention to prevent superstition, for it was usual with the Jews, and it is a custom for which Christ reproves them to kill the prophets and then to pay reverence to their tombs. (laughs) The very people who gave Him His gray hair after rebelling against him for 40 years in the wilderness, may have decided that, you know, this guy is actually pretty cool and really impressive now that he's not here to rebuke us all the time. We're going uh, to make a, a memorial, a sort of a, a, a tomb where everyone can pilgrimage to it, and uh, uh, it's going to be glorious, and we're going to pat ourselves on the back for doing, paying homage to this, this great prophet. They might have even taken his remains across into the Promised Land, which they would think of as an honor, but to God and Moses, it would tarnish Moses' beautiful acceptance of his sentence of death alone with God away from the Promised Land. He's buried outside the Promised Land. And then the third thing it's very intimate. You ask the question who else would be there? at Moses' funeral? Who else ought to be at Moses' funeral? Moses contends with the stubborn and rebellious people for half a century whose stubbornness was, as he says of himself in Deuteronomy three separate times, I sinned out of anger because of your rebellion. <laughs> in a sense, his, he's not deflecting blame, he's not unrighteously deflecting blame, but he's pointing out the fact. That the whole reason for his his own sinful anger, for which God preve- prevented him from going into the Promised Land, was in response to their constant rebellion. So maybe Joshua or Caleb uh, could have been uh, attendees, but for Moses, he had a funeral with the attendance of one: his God and master, the Lord Yahweh. God spoke to him face to face as man speaks to his friend, and then God uh, uh, was alone at his funeral as his perhaps only friend in the end. So, I think that says some things as a more practical application of the various horrific contexts in which we ourselves will come to death. Death is not a friend, (laughs) even of a Christian, um, although its sting is removed by Christ's sacrifice for sin. Um, People may die alone in nursing homes or in war or in accidents. Um, But if they are in Christ, uh, they do, as Moses, receive a funeral with an audience of one, so to speak. The God is there with them. It also says something a little bit about the context of honorable death, that, mo, that God specifically buried Moses. Now, this isn't to say that cremation is in itself wrong. I don't think the Bible condemns it in any way, shape, or form, but the, um, I think we ought to think uh, uh, biblically about the way we treat uh, bodies and the dead and that type of a thing, and, and God's prime example is burying Moses. So just commend that to you. I don't want to uh, make a law where there is no law. There is no law here as far as I can see. But the honor that God gave to Moses by personally burying him is uh, hard to overstate. And I think I should conclude uh, just by reiterating um, what sort of uh, man Moses was, that he was a man created by God and uh, by virtue of God being creator, but he was a prophet made by God as well, as we looked at. It was all by God's grace the entire time. His greatness was entirely God's working. It was entirely God's condescension to meet with him and entirely God's condescension to speak to him as with a friend. And we have in Moses a picture of um, of Christ, that he's uh, maybe more than all Old Testament figures Uh, uh, a faithful over God's house. Uh, Hebrews says uh, Moses was faithful over God's house as a servant, but Jesus is faithful over all God's house as a son and that he was without sin. And so, unlike Moses, we have a uh, faithful son over the house of God, over God's people. Many more millions than Moses dealt with, yet uh, Christ is effective and changing His people from hard-hearted, stubborn, rebellious uh, people into faithful um, Christians. And that Jesus will be faithful to the end, and Jesus is not a sinner that He should die outside the promised land, but He died taking our sin and takes us with Him in resurrection as well, that we should all see the promised land. So for all of Moses' greatness and for all of God's kindness to Moses and his grace, um, he did not see the promised land, that apart from what Christ has done and apart from what he is still doing, um, he should not be finished. His, his uh, journey to life everlasting is not finished, as the author of Hebrews would point out. So let's pray to that end um, that uh, God would cause us to walk in his statutes, cause us to not be stiff-necked and rebellious, as were Moses' people, but that by virtue of Christ's perfect mediation, that we would cross the river into eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard to not be brought low by seeing how great a man Moses was who yet died. Knowing that that is our destiny, should you tarry as well? Lord, we thank you that uh, the great man Moses is not the end of the story, that you yourself in Christ came as man to be the greatest man, the first real righteous man. That we can share in His humanity rather than Moses's or Adam's. So, Lord, we pray that You would keep those who are Yours; that You would be faithful over Your house, and that for those that are not in Your house yet or have not yet been called, that You would call and that You would save, and that we ourselves would, as um, Your people, as Your as Jesus's. Brothers would go out in his authority and make those calls to disciple, to uh, pastor, to uh, preach and to teach. That, in a sense, we would be even, the least of us would even be greater than Moses or Abraham. Let me thank you for this grace, knowing that none of it comes from ourselves, that the only thing we contribute to the salvation is the sin which made it necessary. And that you are a God who is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, we look forward to the day that we see you face to face. In the meantime, would you satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love and cause us to come away with you regularly as your servant Moses did. In Jesus' name, amen.